First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58. The Bible says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'd like to focus on verse number 58 here where the Bible says that we're supposed to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, especially in today's day and age, but I think it probably goes for most people, work is something that I think most of us would probably not choose to do if we could get away from having to do it. Um, I remember it's just several months ago that every business and every place that you drove by, there were signs out on their sign or in their window or something. Everyone was looking for work. They were looking for, looking for workers to do the work. And I believe that the Bible here is telling us that we need to be busy about working for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not this thing where we just get saved and we accept Christ and then we just sit by the wayside and wait till we go on to glory, but we're supposed to be busy doing things for him and for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. I believe here specifically that Paul may have been speaking about when he said to work for the Lord, I believe specifically he was talking about sharing the gospel, getting the message of Jesus Christ out, and still today in 2022, it is ever so important that we get the message that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. It's so important to be about doing that today and working for the Lord on that capacity. But that's not the only way that we can work for the Lord. I think that we can work for the Lord in our local church groups when we're teaching and discipling others about the Lord. I believe we can work for the Lord and just simply giving God glory in everyday life and the things that we do. We can work for the Lord at church. We can work for the Lord at our job and our career. We can work for the Lord at school. And we can work for the Lord at our homes, in our families. I remember several times on uh, Saturday nights I would go to sleep and I would wake up sometimes three, four, five in the morning, not, not on purpose, not because I wanted to be awake, but I would just happen to roll over, wake up or whatever, and I'd look and I could see the door of my dad's office was closed and the light was on. And I knew he didn't want to be up either, but he was up preparing and seeking what the Lord had for him to share at our church where he was the pastor. And that influenced my life that dad would get up and he would take it seriously that he needed to know what it was that God wanted him to share to his church. I remember several times seeing my mom walk through the house and praising the Lord or praying to the Lord out loud, not secretly away where me and Faith couldn't see her, but she was unashamed to walk about and serve the Lord freely in our house. You know, we don't just worship and praise the Lord here in the church house. Uh, they, they made it important for us to see them working for the Lord and being busy about doing things for him. And because of that, that influenced me and my sister. And seeing that, now that's important in our lives as well. So it's important everywhere that you go to be busy doing the work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe there's a few things that we're going to have to have if we're going to be effective in working for him and giving him glory as we work for him. Number one, we're going to need a scriptural perspective. If we're going to be effective in working for the Lord, we need to have a scriptural perspective. 
To be able to work for him, you must first start out on a good foundation of truth. We need to know what is true and what is not true. And I believe that if you look in the Bible, in the very beginning, the serpent, the enemy, began trying to attack what is true and what is not true. As he came to Eve and he began to confuse her and try to divide her thoughts and question, what was it that God really told you to do, Eve? And even still today, there is an all-out war, a demonic attack on what is true and what is not true. People think that uh, what's left is right and what's up is down and everything else. Everything is just so confused. And uh, sadly enough, you know, my basis of truth is the Word of God. It's called the Bible. I hope you have one. Um, And sadly enough, you know, the world, of course, is going to attack the Bible and say it's not the Word of God. But have you heard about this, this new group of people? They call themselves progressive Christians. And I saw as they call themselves a church, but they posted something on Facebook and it was a graphic about the Bible. What is what the Bible is and what the Bible is not. And in that graphic, they said that the Bible was not perfect. They said the Bible had mistakes. There were errors. And at the very top in plain letters, they said the Bible is not the word of God. Well, that's what they think. But I'm here to tell you unashamedly that this book that we call the Bible, it is God breathed. It is God-inspired. It is God-produced. I believe the stories. I believe the lessons. I believe the history gives us life as believers. I believe it helps us as Christians to get through the valleys, those hardships, those battles, the tough times. But not only that, it helps us on the mountaintops when everything is good to sustain us in those times as well. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24 and verse 35 that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I believe the Bible. I believe that God blessed Abraham as the father of his chosen nation, the Israelites. I believe the Bible. I believe that there were prophets that predicted the coming Messiah who was to save his people. I believe the Bible that there was a woman named Mary. I believe she was a virgin as the Bible tells us. That she gave birth to a son named Jesus Christ. Wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. I believe that that little baby boy grew up to be a man. I believe he had authority and he had power. He spoke with a power that confused the people. They'd never seen anything like it because there had never been anyone like him before. He spoke with power and authority as he taught. And it was easy for him just by his words or just by a touch of his hand to heal all diverse diseases and sicknesses. And I believe he still does that today. I believe the Bible that Jesus, my Lord, was mocked. He was slapped, beaten, stripped, whipped, and nailed to a rugged cross. But I believe the Bible that Jesus Christ gave up the ghost. He didn't pass out. He wasn't in a coma. But he died, and he gave up the ghost on that cross. I believe the Bible that on that third morning, Mary and the other woman came to a tomb. And the tomb was empty. (laughs) 
the stone had been rolled away. I believe the Bible that Jesus had risen from the dead and he had victory over death, hell, and the grave. I believe my Bible that Jesus ascended unto heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And I believe the Bible that one day, one day Jesus is going to come back to get his church. I also believe the Bible that there's not many ways to salvation, but it takes the blood of Jesus. Jesus didn't die in vain. There is no other way. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches in Matthew 26, verse 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Hebrews 9, verse 22 says, without shedding of blood is no remission. Church, today, if we're going to be effective in working for the Lord, we need to have a scriptural perspective. We need to stay true to the word of God. Even when we don't like what it says, even when it points out our faults and the things that are wrong about us, we need to accept that this is God-breathed, God-inspired, and without it, we can do nothing. We need to have a scriptural perspective. Not only that, but today, church, we need to have a sanctified pride. A sanctified pride. In working for the Lord, I believe it's important for us to do it unashamedly with a healthy pride. See, I know what you're thinking. The Bible teaches us that pride is destructive. Pride is an indicator of someone who's about to fall or mess up or make a mistake, but I'm not talking about the pride of someone who thinks the world revolves around them and thinks that they're just perfect and they want everyone to like them and and, uh, serve them, but I'm talking about a healthy pride where we are proud in the one that we serve, the one that we've given our life over to, I believe that's important for us to have. The Bible says in Psalm 100, verse 2, that we are to serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. So not only are we to work for the Lord, but we're supposed to be proud about him when we are working and proud of our work in him. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was betrayed and given over to the chief priests and the elders, that the disciple Peter was given three opportunities to say that he knew Jesus or he was acquainted with Jesus and all three times Peter denied even knowing the Lord even after all the miles that he had traveled with the Lord Jesus and seen the miraculous things that Jesus had done in that instant in those three times Peter denied knowing Jesus but if you turn over just a few books you'll see that something miraculous happened that after Jesus had died and he had been ascended that there was some pride that swelled up in this man named Peter. And he got his heart right with God. And he stood boldly and proclaimed the gospel to thousands of people that Jesus was the Savior, that Jesus was the Messiah, and thousands of people's lives were changed forever as they received Christ. Listen, if Satan had his way, he would have us all huddled over in the corner and he, want, he would want us to be quiet and to shut our mouths. It seems especially in today's day and age that there is a push for us to be quiet and to shut our mouths and not talk about the Lord. And they've tried to blame us and stereotype us and and say things that aren't true about us. But I believe that we need to be bold and we need to be proud about the Lord that we serve. In a few days on Wednesday, it's going to be the beginning of June. And sadly, our government has declared this as Pride Month. 
And it's a month about not, to- not just tolerating or allowing, but it's a month about celebrating sin. And that's what they've made it. But I challenge us as the church of Jesus Christ to stand up boldly this month of June and be more proud, be more vocal, and be more out loud about our Savior than we ever have been before. Thank you, Lord. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Church, it's time for us to stop being silent. It's time for us to stop being quiet. I'm glad that we come together in the house of God and we worship him and praise him loudly. But go out to wherever you go on a day in the day out basis and be bold about the Savior. Don't be embarrassed. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Be proud about Jesus and share his love, share his grace, and share the word of God to everyone you come in contact with. If you're going to be effective working for the Lord, it's going to have to take a sanctified pride that he allows us to have. But it's also going to take a supernatural power, a power that goes beyond anything that you and I are capable of doing in our own selves. If anyone's ever going to be effective... It's going to take Christ giving us a special anointing and calling us into the thing specifically that we are to do for him. I'm thankful that so many times that I've been weary, I've been tired, maybe we've been singing for weeks and weeks or revival after revival, and I know there's more, there's other groups that do more than us, and I'm amazed at what the Lord is able to help them to do. But there's been times when I've been weary, I've been tired, and I just, I don't know if I want to do this or not, but the Holy Spirit shows up. And all of a sudden, there's a supernatural power that goes beyond anything I'm able to do that helps me to get through that service, not just to get through, but to enjoy the service and to be effective in helping lead the church into worship and to help, help me to be able to, to preach. But this anointing, this unction of God that we're able to have is not something that we simply can just flip a switch and automatically have. The anointing is something that is uh, strategic. It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes prayer. It takes sacrifice. And it also takes God's choosing for you in that specific thing that he's called you to, to be anointed. I know the Bible talks about anointing in in a very literal sense where they would pour oil and they would anoint someone and dedicate them to service from God. But if you go read when the prophet Samuel anointed David as the next king of Israel, he did not anoint him with the oil until God had told him within his heart that God had anointed him. God had selected him. God had chosen him to be the next king of Israel. I believe that God has a calling and a purpose for each and every one of you that is here this morning. And if you try to fake the anointing, you're going to be a miserable person. I think it's one of the most disgusting things that anyone could ever do is to try to fake God's power. First of all, you can't hide God's anointing. If someone's anointed, you'll be able to see that God has given them the anointing. And you can't fake the anointing either. And if you're trying, you look really silly. So stop it. (laughs) That's not in my notes. I don't know where that... I'm thankful that God called me to preach. I've told you before it wasn't something that I wanted to do. I would have never said, yeah, I want to preach. 
You know, I was the quiet guy that I wouldn't talk to people that I knew. If I saw them out in public, I'd just rather, you know, you've done it too. You see them in this aisle and you go to that aisle over there, opposite side of the store. You're over in the tire shop. You don't need tires, but you're running from people. But I would have, (laughs) that's also not in my notes. I don't, but I would have never chosen to be a preacher, but it wasn't up to me to decide. That was, that was God that called me to do that. And it's God that's given me the power to stand up here in front of all you scary people and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's him that enables me and it's him that will enable you to be in your place, to be in your role. Don't be jealous of someone else's role. Don't be jealous of someone else's calling. Find the place that God has called you to and you'll live an abundant, joyful life and you will be effective for God and for his ministry. It takes a supernatural power to be effective for the Lord. But it also takes a stern persistence. It takes persistence. It takes determination. As I've already said, today's day and age will want to push you away from serving the Lord. will try everything they can do to get you to stop. And there's going to be times where you feel like quitting. You feel like just hanging it up, giving up, sitting down, laying down, whatever, and just stop but we need to be persistent, church. We need to be determined that no matter what goes on around us, remember that time when God called you. Remember when he chose you. Remember when you were saved and you gave your life to the Lord. And it'll always be worth it to go a little further, even when you don't feel like it, and to work for him, to honor him with your work. So not only are we supposed to work for the Lord, but remember the last part of that verse that we read out of today? It says to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, God is so powerful and so mighty, he can just tell us to work and we should work just to obey him. But when we work, God promises from that work a reward. There is a reward to working for the Lord. I think simply the the things that make the most sense or most most relevant to us is when we're working for for him we end up blessing and helping other people and what better thing can we have than to be able to be a blessing to someone else and their life and i think that's part of the reward of our work but not only that but that comes back to not only help them but it helps us and helping others we end up helping ourselves and making ourselves uh, joyful in the lord and his service But not only are those the things that we get as a reward, but as a Christian, as a born-again Christian believer in Jesus Christ, God has promised us a reward. At the end of all of this, of a place called heaven, and back to the Bible, I believe the Bible teaches us about a very real place called heaven, that as his people, we will be able to receive and we will be able to enjoy one day. I'd like to share a story with you and we'll be through this morning. There was an old preacher named Bert Clendenin. Bert Clendenin. I heard this story told by Danny Campbell. He's a great preacher. I heard it told years ago, and I had to call him the other day to to get the details of it because I couldn't quite remember everything about it. But I remember him telling me this several years ago, telling the church as he was preaching. And uh, I want to share that with you today. There was a preacher named Bert Clendenin, and he preached a message on soldiers. Now, Bert didn't just research about soldiers and their tactics and their strategies like I would if 
I had to preach a message on soldiers. Bert had been a soldier himself. Uh, Bert Clendenin served actually in World War II. And he was a machine gunner sergeant. And he was out in the Pacific Ocean for 33 months. And he fought with the Marine Corps. He said out of a group of 800 men that went out, there was only 80, 80 out of 800 that would one day walk on the ship to go back home. He said there were uh, several that had just been injured and maimed so bad they couldn't walk under their own power and then anyone else other than that had given the ultimate sacrifice. They had laid down their life for their country in serving in the Marine Corps. He said there was only 80 guys that could actually walk under their own power onto that ship. He said they'd been out there for 33 months, or him specifically, he'd been out there for 33 months, and he said the conditions were just terrible. First and foremost, they were in war. You know, you always have the constant wondering, am I going to die today? Is something, am I going to be injured? Is something terrible going to happen to me or my friends? He said, but the living conditions were bad. It was just everything, everything was just bad. And all he wanted to do was just get to go home. He wanted to go home so bad. He said he remembers he was sitting in a tent one night, late one night, and he heard his name called outside, and he walked out, and they said, Burke Clendenin, they said, Congress has passed a system of points, and you've reached so many points, and you're going to be able to go home now. And they said, do you think you can be on the docks tomorrow at 8 in the morning? He said, well, I was at the docks at 5 in the morning, sitting there with my duffel bag, ready to board the ship and head home. He said, I was so excited to finally be headed back home. He said, we got on that ship the next morning. He said it was a rough several weeks. He said it took a total of 28 days. He said he would take his his clothes that he had and he would wash them in salt water. And he took his pants at night when he went to sleep and he laid them under his mattress. So when he laid on them, he was trying to press them and trying to make them look good, trying to make them look presentable for when he got back home. He said on that 28th day, he walked upstairs and he looked out and he could see land. And he asked somebody, he said, what is that over there? They said, that's California. And he said, right then and there, he began to get excited because he knew he was close to getting home. He said they were dressed in whatever the best uniform that they had. They were dressed and they were standing around the railing of that ship as they came into the shoreline. He said shortly thereafter, they passed under that Golden Gate Bridge. They were on their way to San Francisco there. And he said when they got close enough, he could see movement. And he got a little bit closer and he could see it was thousands and thousands of people awaiting on that shoreline. He said they were throwing their hats in the air and they were waving their arms and they were celebrating as the soldiers were coming home from the battle. He said the men in charge said that uh, the Marines that had been fighting the battle were going to be the first ones that got off the ship. And he was a senior non-commissioned officer. He had been in charge of uh, this group. So he was going to be the first one to walk down. When they got there, he said they put the gangplank down and he was the first one to walk down and everyone was cheering and shouting and screaming and a thousand piece band struck up and began to play. And he said, in that moment, I thought about all the suffering and all the terrible things that we had gone through and the things that I had to see. And it was all miserable. But he said, in that moment, that reward of seeing friends and family and civilians that I didn't even know, but they were celebrating as these war-battered soldiers made it home. And that moment, he said, I had so much pride that I was willing to turn the ship around and go right back to where I had been fighting and go through it all again. He said, it was worth it all when I got home. I believe for you and I as Christians, one day, we're going to get aboard that old ship of Zion. 
And as we come in, I believe that we're going to see some friends and family that have gone on before us. And I believe they're going to be celebrating and worshiping the Lord and celebrating us as we get close to home. One day we're going to make it, church. We're going to make it, and it's all going to be worth it. Everything that we've done that maybe we've complained about or we've thought, I wish I didn't have to go through this. Well, one day, one day, it's going to be worth it all when we receive that heavenly reward.